I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocalim Podcast. There's a new Tesla in town, the Cybertruck. Announced at SpaceX headquarters in LA, the company describes the Cybertruck as an electric pickup. But it looks nothing like one. Instead, it resembles something out of a sci-fi movie more suited to be on Mars than driving around the roads on Earth. Pocalin editor Chris Hall has followed the announcements and discussions afterwards and joins me to tell me more. Meanwhile, following my stint as a judge on the James Dyson Awards earlier in the year, I caught up with Lucy Hughes, the student who's not only won the UK leg, but also the overall global prize of £30,000 with her invention of a new bioplastic made of organic fish waste. We talk about what it means for her and her new material. And keeping in with the eco-friendly car theme this week, Pocalint's Reviews Editor Mike Lowe walks us through the new all-electric Ford Mustang Mach-E, which he's checked out in Oslo at the European launch. Does it have what it takes to beat a Mustang? But first, let's go back to you, Chris. Tell us more about the Tesla pickup. Well, I don't know whether to laugh or cry, really. Um the Tesla pickup one way the Tesla pickup is dramatic in its design to say the least. It looks like a giant metal wedge on wheels. There isn't a curve anywhere. It's all apart from the wheels. There there are just angles all over the place. Big sloping front, big angles coming down to the back. Um so yeah, calling it a Cybertruck is very accurate. It it looks like the sort of thing that car companies put out as a concept, but Tesla seems to have gone out and made this into their final production version. Um, I can see why people are talking about it, and maybe that was the aim. Instead of making just an electric pickup, Tesla has decided to do something that is utterly and bizarrely unique. I mean, it's incredibly polarising in its design, isn't it? As you say, it looks like a triangle on wheels. Incredibly sci-fi, a bit DeLorean maybe. Yes, Tesla have made it out of out of uh, steel panels here, and I, I think they've done that for the strength um, just to... You know, to just design this this pickup truck in a in a more rugged way than than a lot of the other cars that are on the road. Um, it's strange to look at from the front because it is just a huge triangle, but the the back of it does open up like a pickup pickup. So while you have a cab up the front where you'll have drivers and passengers with lots of space, there is that huge uh, cargo area at the back, and some of uh, Tesla's promo shots have, have seen uh, an, a sort of four-wheel ATV loaded onto the back um, and also what looks like a tent conversion in case you wanted to take this thing camping. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, you know. why, why wouldn't you? The, um, <laughs> there are some technical details that have been released. Um, Tesla said that they're going to be doing three different versions of this, uh, which very much mirror some of the different versions they have on their other cars. So there will be a single motor rear-wheel drive version then there'll be the dual motor, which will be the all-wheel drive version, which I suspect will be the most popular because if you're buying a pickup, you're going to need all the wheels working. And finally, there will be a triple motor version. And the triple motor is something that Tesla has been playing around with for a while. And this is going to be the most powerful and the most expensive and have the longest range. Uh, the other important thing about 
pickups is they're often designed to tow. And Tesla's being quite upfront about how much uh, towing power you will have as well. Um, they, I mean, this is obviously pickup trucks are huge for the US. Um, yeah. They're less popular in other parts of the world, but I have just been on the UK Tesla site and you can put down a, it's, it's not really a pre-order because it's only a hundred pound deposit, um, which is fully refundable. Um, but yeah, it looks like it's going to be available everywhere. That's something very similar that is with the Model Three, wasn't it? But that was a thousand pounds to really sort of suggest that you had to be serious about this. Again, you got your full deposit back if you wanted to. Yeah. But I mean, I think the interesting thing for me here is is the range. I mean, that top top of the line one is it's five hundred miles. I mean, that that's a long way. That is a long way, and a lot of people using pickups aren't using them to go on a holiday uh, they're not driving all the way across the country a lot of them are used to move things around nearby places so you know that 500 range is huge and that will be a big step forward but it's also a big vehicle to be able to pack this into i suspect that there will be a model x that then has triple motor arrangement and have 500 mile range in the future as well um, the other interesting thing was that as soon as this was launched there then a debate then started about whether electric cars were better for the environment or not. And this has been rolling on. A lot of it came out of a comment that appeared in The Guardian over the weekend, which was an opinion piece written by a, uh, a German chap. Um, and he said that they may not be as green as you think they are because of the energy and the uh, carbon cost of creating the vehicle in the first place. Uh, this guy, Hans Werner Sinn, uh, wrote this opinion piece in The Guardian. And one of the small details that he mentioned was that his calculations were based on the uh, the the German power mix. And really what this means is that Germany is heavy reliant, heavily reliant on coal still. So if you're manufacturing and you're the electricity that you get is going to be sourced from coal, then you may have been, may be better off and have a lower carbon output if you bought a traditional diesel. Lots of people have been upset about this, and it's really sort of like stoked the uh, the fire, if you mm. will, around electric vehicles. Because, because I mean, for example, in the UK, we have now moved a lot of our energy mix over to to wind instead. And there have been yeah. days where our coal power stations have been completely offline, which means the electricity that everybody's using, including in manufacturing, is then a lot cleaner. So, And I suppose the argument from Tesla as well is that they have the Tesla Powerwall, which is that big battery that you can stick on on the side. You can put yeah. solar panels on, on, you know, you could go off grid completely. You, you know, that's one of the joys of, of something like this is you could charge, you have solar panels on your roof, that powers your battery, which then powers your car, which means you're not, it's completely eco. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's always been that argument. I mean, I always remember the Prius was, you know, saying, people saying about the Prius when that first came out, that wasn't eco-friendly because of the, the manufacturing process to do that compared to a like Land Rover Defender, which everybody you know is not even allowed on the roads anymore because it's it doesn't pass. You know they can't make any new ones because it doesn't park those kind of those ecological. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Um, so yeah, I think this is a, a debate that's set to set to rage for quite a long time. But um, the Cybertruck is it definitely wins points for being eye-catching. It's you know, it's doing exactly what Elon Musk is really good at, which is selling Tesla as an exciting brand. Now, do you think, I mean, the rumours are, or the suggestion is, is that they've, they've got 200,000 pre-orders. When you look at that 100,000, you know, 100 pound deposit, it's pretty easy just to say, oh, yeah, I'll put my name down and then not actually go through with it. Do you think it, we will see these on the roads in, in droves? 
I suspect that they will be much more popular in the US because they're attracted to the pickup market. Um, in the UK, I suspect that the people who buy them will buy them because it is so different. And I think that's what it, that, I think that like some of the other Tesla models, it will have something of a cult status because it's a Tesla and because it looks so strange. There'll be lots of people who say that is revolting. It should not be allowed on the road. And there will be other people who absolutely love it and buy it because it's so incredibly different. Still to come, Mike gives us his opinion on the new Ford Mustang. It's quite different. <laughs> so Mustang is is world famous, right? It's known very much for being the American muscle car. And the new Marquis is kind of not that. Frustrated by the pointless use of single-use plastic, did you know the average bag is used for only about 10 minutes, Lucy Hughes challenged herself to find a sustainable alternative derived from an existing waste stream. In this case, fish offcuts. The University of Sussex graduate won the UK James Dyson Award back in the summer and has gone on to win the global prize, netting herself around £30,000 to invest in her idea to take it to the next stage. I caught up with Lucy and started by asking her how it felt to win the overall prize this year. Oh, it's like, I couldn't believe it, honestly. Like, um, it's a huge injection into kind of my project and, and to, with, with the risk of sounding cheesy, it's, it's, it changed my life for sure. And what, let's go back to the beginning, just for people that aren't aware of, of what you, what the product or the innovation was that you won for. So can you, can you tell us a bit about Marina Tech and like really where the inspiration came from? Sure. So Marina Tech um, is a biodegradable and home compostable material made from uh, waste from the fishing industry and um, red algae. And my project began um, with the kind of notion that I wanted to work with the waste stream and I wanted to work with waste. So um, through a university lecturer, I then got in contact with a fish processing plant and went down there. So they're based in New Haven, which is just east of Brighton. Um, and I went down there and kind of had a tour of their plant and um, had the glamorous job of kind of sifting through bloods and guts and scales. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was ultimately the skins and the scales that um, kind of captured my imagination. Um, and... So, it, yeah, it then went on from there. So after that, I was kind of researching the materials and kind of what, like working out what kind of was locked up in there and what the composition was. Um, and then it was a case of finding a binder. And at the moment, that fish waste is shipped all the way up to Grimsby, which right. is in the north of England, um, to be then turned into fish meal. Um, so I was looking for kind of a way to make local solutions to do with that to do stuff with that fish waste so um when i was looking for a binder because obviously like i had all this organic material and then i needed a binder so when i was looking for binders um i looked towards the sea and that's where i kind of came across red algae um and it's kind of binding qualities and right. so, yeah and then it was experimentation and so, like, was there, you know, lots of, when you talk to scientists or, or people that invent things or things like that, there's kind of, they always talk about this eureka moment, you know, the, the, you know, jumping out of the bath, running through the town. Was <laughs> was there a, a moment for you like that where you suddenly thought, hang on a minute, this is like, I, I'm onto something here, this is going to work? Um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm no Archimedes, but um, <laughs> I do think that there was 
so when I was playing around with the, the skins and scales um, and I had ground up fish um, scales and sorry <clears throat> and mixed it with the um, algae binder and it originally the kind of uh, my material without the skins and the scales or um, almost tried to revert back into seaweed shape so it kind of crinkled up and it was in terms of kind of thinking about the future and thinking about manufacturing that as a material the lack of consistency um, was a real issue so when I had kind of just um, very roughly kind of ground up the scales and mixed it with the algae um, it came out kind of super flat um, and it was that moment where I was like wait a minute there's there's something here and and so how how like the journey so far yeah how long has this taken to get to this point where you you had that idea of right I'm going to turn fish waste into effectively plastic bags you know for lack of a, a better word how, how how long has that taken is it has it been a really quick process or have you you know in, in the back of your mind you've been working on this since you were like 12 <laughs> um well actually no it's, it's relatively quick um so this was for my final year project and it was roughly about this time last year that I went to MCB Seafoods, the um, fish processing plant, to kind of explore their waste streams. So it's been a very quick, um, in terms, especially in terms of like material development, to get to this point. However, um, I, I do think that there's a lot more research and development that needs to go into this material to kind of get it to market. So it's 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 an it's a hard one for me to predict as well because obviously you, you really can't predict the outcomes of R and D, um, but it's been quick so far and that's just because of the nature of um of it it being a final year project and kind of having to hit deadlines. And so you, you've effectively got a proof of concept product. It exists. It, it can be used. How yeah. how long do you think it will be before you know I'm 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 seeing Marina Tech in 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 the high street you know in the real world. Such a hard question to answer. Mm. <laughs> um, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I wish I could give you a, a timeline of exactly when it would be. Um, but, but as I say, because of like, because even just it, because it behaves completely different to plastic, it's it's not plastic at all. It's completely new material. Um, to get it into production, I need completely new infrastructure. Um, and I don't think so. For example, that plastic bag machine. Um, because this isn't plastic, I can't just feed it into existing plastic bag machines, right. um, which then screwed it. I would need to develop that, those um, machines myself. So that in, it, in itself is kind of a, a huge challenge. Um, but it is a relatively low, pro, like um, low tech process. Obviously, I, I did this in my kitchen. Um, so it shouldn't be too complicated. It's just something that will probably take time. Um, I would I would love to see it in the next in the next two to three years. Um, but yeah, time And um, what are your what are your hopes for the material? Is it is it to replace everything that we currently use single use plastics for, or is it bigger than that, or is it you know not so not so big? Um, so I I always encourage um, refuse and reuse before anything else. So even though that the images and the kind of initial applications that I've shown that marine kept marine text could be used in so like plastic bags and bakery bags and stuff um i'm not sure if i mean plastic bags for example i would champion trying to bring your own to any shop rather than um kind of getting a new one um however there are 
because there are certain places like for example like in the in the fashion industry each garment is individually wrapped in a plastic film so that when they get to the um warehouse the warehouse workers can see which what's inside of each garment they have mm. to all be protected so that's and if you think about the amount of fashion and the amount of clothing that we consume um that's a huge place where i could see a relatively low tech place for marine text to be used in um and yeah. and and obviously winning the dyson award is you know is a great accolade and congratulations on that Where, how how important is that award to you and do you think that's you know is that just one one accolade on the journey or is this kind of a, a real game changer um well i mean it's already been a complete game changer um the the kind of the response i've got has been so positive and people because i think it's also because people are so aware um of the issues now and also the news has been pretty pretty dire recently um i think i've got a lot of responses of people being like um i want to help in any way i can so i've i've really been feeling the startup love um from from many mm. people so i think this is this has been a huge game changer um and i hope that it's one accolade in many to come but um but even if it isn't i it's 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 been incredible and in terms of uh, you know one of the questions i was going to ask is is what's next but i presume what's next is spending more time developing and, and building this project and i presume the prize money from james dyson will, will go towards that development yeah absolutely um next steps i can have short-term goals and i have long-term goals um short-term goals are to like gain protection get this into production continue r d um and then kind of long-term goals are to sort of spread the message of kind of the circular economy and educate consumers and also manufacturers in kind of different kinds of materials and also different ways that we can tackle this kind of environmental issue that of, of plastic consumption um so yeah uh, but i'm at the bottom of my mountain but and i suppose you know it's that i suppose that fascinating thing of you know fresh out of university you've now effectively got the next five to ten years mapped out for you if you're going to focus on marine attack you know and that's is how does that feel is that is that an exciting prospect or is it sort of quite daunting um so it's a bit of both um i think obviously it's, it's exciting because i mean who, like yeah who gets this opportunity like um i feel extremely lucky to have been in to be put in this position of um kind of you know so many opportunities have been pre- presented to me um and it's not yeah it's not your ad, uh, um, average graduate experience mm-hmm. um but um also it's yeah it is really daunting because um i've i've never done this before and um you know i've, I've spent three to four years learning product design and now i'm going to spend now i'm going to be spending the next umpteen amount of years um doing startup <laughs> and and also uh, like a tech startup as well a biotech startup so and I've, I've never done that before so um so yeah it is daunting <laughs> for the first time in 55 years ford is expanding the mustang line with the introduction of the mark e the company's first all-electric vehicle 
Mike Lowe, Pocalint's Reviews Editor, was at the European launch in Oslo, Norway to get a closer look at the next step in Mustang history. Can it take on other EVs in the market already? And more importantly, with Mustang so famous for its brawn and power, how can an electric version deliver the same punch? So Mike, what's it like? It's quite different. <laughs> so Mustang is is world famous, right? It's known very much for being the American muscle car. And the new Marquis is kind of not that. It's um, it's a new form. It's taking on an SUV kind of styling because obviously that's the market that is currently most successful that people are buying into. So it's really Ford completely expanding its, its horizons, not only making its first all-electric car, but pushing into a different market using a famous name that it has. And... Uh, I think it's going to ruffle a few feathers. I think there's some people who are going to love it and others who will find it a bit of a end of an era because the styling is quite different. And so what's let's start with the, the negatives before we move on to the positive. What, what didn't you like about it? So I, I, I quite like it. I just think because it's such a institution, people love Mustang and they, they love that kind of big-shouldered kind of American muscle car look. It's classic and it always has been. And this obviously is a different kind of car. It's got longer wheelbase. It's, you know, SUV styled. In a way, it looks a little bit like um, the, the Maserati Levante. Um, it's just a different looking thing. And that is going to upset some of the, the diehard fans, I suspect. And you've kind of alluded to some of these good points. Obviously, looking at the pictures that you've taken on Pocket Lent, it's, you know, that horse front and center, uh, you know, the Mustang badge. Uh, on the front what what do you like about it um my point of view i think is is not entirely exterior it's um it's about what ford's doing inside because for quite a long time this this company's kind of lagged behind a bit and when i sat in this it's kind of really stepped things up um compared to where they've been at with these have like tiny screens and nothing was particularly technological but this guy has a massive like central screen um, in the middle, which uh, I think is 15, 15 and a half inches, um, which is kind of similar to what Tesla has been doing for a while because Tesla's a known mm. this big 17-inch screen in the center that's all touchscreen and you handle everything in, in that kind of format. And that's just like a massive leap forward in in what Ford is doing. But also when you're sat in the car, it just it, it dominates. You know, It's got a really different feeling about it. It's like this big floating kind of screen. Um, in addition, behind the wheel, they've got um, like a 10-inch driver display, so everything there is digital as well. Um, I think it's sort of laying down the footing for what, what is to come from Ford and showing that they can now finally compete in, in that area as well. And in terms of performance, do you think it, it's got what it's it's got what it takes to be a Mustang? Um, we'll see. You know, it's uh, it's a 0 to 60 in about five seconds. Um, no one's driven it except for the guys at Ford because... There aren't very many of them. This right. was a, a hand-built one that they'd exported and uh, only one person was allowed to drive it. So they were very um, cautious about anyone making any uh, any damage to it because it's probably one of the only ones in Europe, if not the only one. Now, this comes into quite uh, what's fast becoming quite a crowded market. It kind of hits above the, you know, it's kind of tacking onto the, would you say, the Jaguar I-Pace kind of level, but not as expensive? Uh, yeah, it, it, all those things. I mean, right now, the, the car market is very much pushing into SUVs, crossovers, um, and electric vehicles, be they be all electric or plug-in or, you know, have a self, 
regen motor that's in there. Um, sorry, self-regenerating battery that's in there. All this stuff is kind of coming to the fore, um, and every company worth its salt has to do something about it. You know, that's where the market's going. They need to to push in that direction. Ford is coming at a pretty reasonable price point. I mean, it's not cheap, but we're talking, you know, upwards of forty thousand um, pounds. But then, when you're looking at where, say, Tesla started, that was, you know, six figures almost in mm. many cases. Um, and the Jag is pricier, but the Jag's probably got that kind of more premium edge. It's probably a bit, you know, more sporty styled and and so on. So there's, there's a lot more choice out there. Um, and right to the other side, you've got the Audi e-tron, which is kind of a a bigger SUV, like full-on SUV, um, that again is also more expensive. So we'll, we'll see what the level in interest is, because I think people are going to kind of react to to that price point. And so if I was uh, a listener now thinking, hmm, this still sounds interesting, should I get one? What's What yeah. do you think the final verdict to the moment? I know you haven't driven it, but from a design sort of comfort, aesthetics, cockpit kind of look and feel, is it you know something that we sh- you should put on your wish list or is it uh, maybe not this time? It's definitely a great looking car. If it drives well, then then I can't see any reason to not put it on on your short list for sure. Um, whether it goes against your kind of opinion of what Mustang should be, that's that's a whole other issue. So I think that's going to be part of the dividing line. Um, there's one other thing I've got to talk about because I almost forgot. It's got um, this kind of crazy door system. So if you look at the photos, it doesn't have any door handles. None at all. No, it's got these little buttons um and basically you press one and it kind of on the inside of the door it pushes out this little kind of lever thing that pushes the door away by a few centimeters and then you can get your hand around the side and pull it out so it gives it this really kind of sleek design look we haven't spoken much about the exterior but on the driver's door in the uh the column on the door it's got a um a number pad as if you were going into some sort of secure area and you can set a key code to get into the car, which is something I've never seen anywhere and is kind of pretty cool and pretty futuristic, um, unless it breaks, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, I mean, I think that's something, you know, we're seeing this quite a bit. The the Jag has receptive um, door handles. Tesla Model 3 has those weird ones that you kind of, they're on a on a lever system, yeah. you know, and and the idea of, of not needing keys anymore is, is quite appealing, I think. And that's that's a thing that they're they're also introducing. I know there's um, a few things need to be signed off by different bodies before that would be possible with this car in the UK. But come 2020 when it's out, um, you should also be able to to have your phone provide keyless entry to this as well. Yeah, and I think that's you know it's it's that clearly must be the way that we're all going. You know, either your watch, smartwatch controlling it, you know, Fitbit or whatever, you know, letting you get into the car or or. Or you use the numbered keypad. Or a numbered keypad. I mean, that's even better. (laughs) You could probably see that working really well for those kind of zip car people where you just have to type in a number to to get into the car and off you go. So it's it's not even your car. You never know. You might might see more of these on the road than you you may expect. I think that's the thing. They've kind of hit all the right points. It's whether or not the the classic horse badge is... uh, going to be accepted by by the hardcore now just to finally uh this is not out next week no not at all um you you can pre-order it you can uh put your deposit down um it comes in all manner of configurations um so basically you can have the standard rear wheel drive there's a second version which has an all-wheel drive platform um and there's also a first edition which um 
believe just comes in a, a fancy paint of coat that excuse me <laughs> a fancy coat of paint get my words right um and has kind of all the extras in there so it's got all the additional tech packs and, um, and, so and when does that all arrive if everything goes to plan I believe it'll be the end of 2020, mm. so it's quite quite a long wait. Um, a little bit behind some of the competition, perhaps, but I think they want to make sure they've got it right and roll out the numbers as soon as they can. That's it for this week. If you've enjoyed the show, can you please give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform you're listening on? It really will help raise our profile and let others know you liked it too. Until next Friday, pip-pip. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.